Hello and welcome to the Bipolar Feminist Podcast. This is your host, Nikita Ramkisun, and today we'll be talking about the choice to be child-free. This may be a sensitive subject for many, so listen with care. On a Tuesday like any other, as I was making my way to the grocery store, my Uber driver thought it perfectly appropriate to tell me that I will regret not having children one day. I wish I was surprised, but I've been told the same or similar by the most arbitrary people. The air hostess who saw me rolling my eyes at the kid on the other side of the aisle. The cashier who caught the tail end of my conversation with my nephews. The random TikTok commenter who said I will feel incomplete as a woman should I not have kids and the doctor who refused to remove my uterus when I asked. The world doesn't like women without children, but also hates us when we do have them. Society is so quick to judge women for having children when they're no longer thin, or their bodies don't bounce back soon enough, or ever, or when mothers have postpartum depression and are refused treatment, or when motherhood is not accommodated in the workplace, or when people give you dirty looks in public when your child cries or when you need to feed your infant and people don't want to see you breastfeeding. The list is endless. But then they also hate it when a woman decides that they want none of that. It's almost as if society just hates women and feels the need to be invasive in asking what they're doing with their uterus when it's really nobody's business. The most common thing we're told is that we will change our minds. So let me tell you about the time I fell pregnant. I was 34 and had a tumor growing around my uterus. It was a choice between going through with the pregnancy or removing the tumour. For the first time, I was hesitant. I didn't want children. I still don't. But I felt like I would love this child more than anything. I would have. And I mourned the loss of this potential child and the future they would have had. But in the end, I chose myself. And that's pretty telling. Fortunately, many childbearing people don't have to make that black and white choice that I had to make. But the sentiment is the same. I choose my life. And my guess is most people who can have children but don't want to feel the same. They choose themselves. Some think it's selfish to not have children, and I wonder why that's one of their talking points, because the world is literally on fire. Not a single person has been able to explain to me how it makes me selfish to not want to create a miniature version of myself who just might take care of me when I'm old. Also, they'll increase humanity's carbon footprint and will put extra pressure on a system that's already in such a mess Is it because I don't want the responsibility that I'm selfish? Or because I don't want to share my limited life-creating abilities with the world? Or is it that I'm selfish for denying my parents the joy of grandparenthood? Or am I depriving my partner of fatherhood? I'm still confused as to why. Please make it make sense. The misogyny of the medical field and people's sense of entitlement over uteruses lends itself towards the idea that people with childbearing ability, women and trans men or non-binary folk, have a say over what someone else does with their own body. This ideology that our bodies can be controlled by others also has a great effect on anti-abortion laws. It's most definitely a slippery slope. It all comes down to the dehumanization of women that allows people to think of women only as sexual beings and then baby-making machines. This belief is also rooted in a false kind of moralism, a mistaken moral ideology of what women are for, and what society believes they are for is to provide the sorts of goods that people of all genders feel they are entitled to, sex and birth included. Sexism's real power stems from a system built on morality, respectability and entitlement, 
when mostly men are denied power or pleasure, or when women aspire to those things, people of all genders are outraged. And with more and more people wanting to take control of their own narrative, it's no wonder that a staggering 57% of US households are child-free, and that part of the statistic is higher in the homes of educated women. A lot of friends my age have kids, but they're also mostly neurotypical and part of a two-income household in stable positions. Even they say parenting is difficult, with women in particular talking about the challenges of managing the majority of childcare responsibilities, in addition to their work responsibilities. It seems very reasonable to say, I don't think this lifestyle is for me. Even women who do want children end up having fewer these days. Women across South Africa report wanting three or more children, but only having two on average. The same survey found that financial concerns factored heavily into people wanting fewer kids. 64% said childcare was too expensive, 43% said financial precarity forced them to wait to have children, and about 40% cited a lack of paid family leave as a reason they've had fewer children. Education levels also factor into this decision. 7% of women who didn't finish high school are childless. This figure just about doubles to 13 for those who finished high school or who have some tertiary experience. Among women with a bachelor's degree, about 20% are childless. The logic here is with higher education comes fewer births. Many women surveyed in this research who have postgraduate degrees did not want children at all or did not have them. Educational costs also play a role with people who wish for their children to have quality education, understanding when they can't afford it. Also, nappies are expensive, yo. Over the past two years, parents have had to continue working, often without childcare or while having to help their children learn remotely. The situation has left people stressed and depleted, and perhaps more likely to delay or reconsider having children or more children. The pandemic has revealed to us how poorly we support parents, and we've come to see the truth that we've always known but never speak out loud, which is that parenting is really fucking hard without the structures of school and community. It does indeed take a village, and we don't have much of that these days. Body changes are another aspect, with physical and mental health being taken into consideration more and more. Hormones change permanently, and for people with hormonal imbalances, pregnancy is a tough ask and a risk. Weight gain in pregnant women increases the workload on the body from any physical activity. The additional weight and gravity slow down the circulation of the blood and bodily fluids, particularly in the lower limbs. As a result, pregnant women retain fluids and experience swelling of the face and limbs. This water weight adds another limitation on exercise. Your hair changes, often falling out, changes in the five senses, such as perosmia, your change in sense of taste, and so-called cosmetic changes, such as adult acne, stretch marks, hyperpigmentation, and scarring. And obviously, the uterus, cervix, and vaginal walls are all damaged with each childbirth. Not to mention the mental strain and the fact that neurodivergent people have to come off their often life-saving medication while pregnant. The healthcare system does not help with the misogyny in the medical field affecting pregnant women in a big way, with doctors assuming that women don't understand their own bodies. Mistreatment is experienced more frequently by women of color when birth occurs in hospitals and among those with social, economic or health challenges. Mistreatment is exacerbated by unexpected obstetric interventions and by patient-provided disagreements. Black women are more likely than women of any other race to die of pregnancy-related problems. They're also more likely to have their concerns dismissed, their pain untreated, and their experiences disbelieved, at a disproportionately higher rate than any other, including white trans men who give birth. 
Many midwifery textbooks include entire sections about black women being dramatic and yelling for attention, and pregnant women having hysteria. Regardless of maternal race, having a partner who was black also increased mistreatment in one survey. One textbook says black women behave like monkeys in the ER. This textbook is still used in the US today. It's a small wonder why women of color are increasingly distrustful of the medical system and thus choose to be child-free. As mentioned earlier, we are constantly told that we are incomplete as women if we don't have children and asked what we'll do with all the time we have if we don't. Well, if you're looking for another human, one for whom you're entirely responsible to complete you, newsflash, you're never going to be a complete person. That aside, it's not a woman's entire purpose to pop out progeny. We don't have to fill our lives with little mini-me's in order to feel accomplished or complete, but that also does not mean we shame people for having children or wanting to have them either. Sometimes people are child-free because they just can't have children. Infertility affects millions of people of reproductive age worldwide, and it has an impact on their families and communities. Estimates suggest that worldwide between 48 million couples and 186 million individuals live with infertility. That statistic includes all genders and, more often than not, women are blamed for infertility, sometimes attributed to spiritual lack rather than hormonal issues, and it demonizes women, further oppressing us. Addressing infertility can mitigate gender inequality. Although all genders can experience infertility, women in relationships with men are often perceived to suffer from infertility regardless of which partner does. Infertility has significant negative social impacts on the lives of infertile couples and particularly women who frequently experience violence, divorce, social stigma, emotional stress, depression, anxiety, and low self-esteem as a result. Being child-free is sometimes not a choice and is deeply personal. When it comes to perceptions of child-free women, we have a long way to go. The expectation to bring kids into this world is so strong that a study found that voluntary child-free people inspired significantly greater moral outrage than those with two or more children. Those who are child-free may be stigmatized, but overall, were happier. Another study that looked at 40 years of data on children and happiness in the Americas found that married mothers were less happy than women without children. This doesn't mean child-free people hate children, though, although some do. That's perfectly valid, too. Many child-free people love children. We just like to give them back to their parents once they start crying or when we get tired. As mean as it sounds, I babysit. I don't parent. Even my own nieces and nephews. I love them dearly, but um, you can change that nappy. Thanks. And I can't stress this enough. Just because you don't want to have kids doesn't mean you don't want a family. I am lucky that I have a lovely family with my life partner and two cats. We are happy and fulfilled with one another. And here's the thing. Even though we don't want children and probably won't for the foreseeable future, we can change our minds whenever we want. And that's valid too. The choice to be child-free is something that feminism encourages, as is the choice to have children. The key word here is choice. When people of all genders are free to choose how they conduct their own lives and bodies, that is feminism at work. Shaming people for being child-free is an archaic practice that ignores socioeconomic, health and political factors that intersects across gender, race, class and disability. And truly, I say this with all the love in the world when I say, what I do with my uterus is none of your fucking business. Thank you for listening. 
Again, this is your host, Nikita Ramkisun, and I would like to thank my patrons who have been amazing over the past few weeks. Your kindness and support have made my life so much more bearable. Should you wish to support me, please subscribe to The Bipolar Feminist on Patreon for $5 to $35 per month, which includes lectures, weekly articles, AMAs, telegram access, and exclusive merchandise. You could also donate directly to Nikki Starfish on Coffee. Tune in next week where I'll be talking about what is known as pink tax.